Hello everyone and welcome to Balls and Whistles, a sporting podcast from Highland News and Media. I'm your host, sports editor Will Clark, and joining me as always is my assistant, Andrew Henderson. And it's a special week for Andrew because it's his favourite week of the year. It's Eurovision week. And you'll never guess what, Andrew, who I bumped into in uh, Church Street uh, just yesterday. What is happening right now? It was 1997 entrant Gina G, who turns out she's a big fan of the show. So I was asking about uh, what she liked, what she didn't like about the show. And one of the questions I posed to her was, do you think Hendo makes enough of a contribution to the show? And she said... I said, I do, Gina. I know exactly what you're speaking about. I, I I genuinely don't know what to say to that. I mean, if you want, I can like just leave you to it. You can find someone else to come in and take my spot, Will. It's just Gina's opinion, not mine. Well, you asked the question, so you must have thought something along those lines. No, it's reader engagement. Reader engagement. Reader engagement. Listener engagement, I should say. So we just go on with the show. Well, it's been a big week of news. Right after we finished recording last week, news came out that John Robertson was coming back to the club in a different role. Califis are looking for a manager. We'll be talking about that in a bit. There's the return of North Cali football this weekend, which is long anticipated. We've also got rugby back. There's some club records and international call-ups and athletics. But, well, there's only one place we can start this week. We have to do... Let's count your staying up! We have to talk about this. They made it. They beat Motherwell 2-1. Coming from behind again. Second game in a row, they managed to do that. First time all season, they won three league games in a row. And they proved you wrong. They did prove me wrong. I didn't see it coming before the split. I was sure that Ross County were going to finish in the bottom two. But wow. 10 points out of 15 in the split. They deserve to stay up. I take my hat off to them. I've lost for words, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not just that they did it, it's how they did it. Like I say, three wins in a row, coming from behind to beat Hamilton second last game of the season, coming from behind to beat Motherwell. There's points in both of those matches where they were either bottom or 11th, and they've ended up finishing nine points clear of Hamilton. It's not just that they've finished 10th, it's how they've done it. It's the margin now that you can see. Looking at a league table, it looks comfortable. I wouldn't go that far. So, uh, nine I, points I, clear I, of bottom. Yeah, but only three points clear of Kilmarnock, who had a, a bigger goal difference. The one thing that really pleased me during the split was when they went a goal down, heads didn't go down, which was a characteristic for most of the season. I saw the highlights against Motherwell and I was following your tweets as well. When they went 1-0 down, I had real fears, to be honest. And when I saw Hamilton Academicals team as well, they just gave up. They basically threw in a bunch of kids. And uh, Kilmarnock... They won 2-0, but it was going on 3, 4, 5, 6. Um, but it was the old guard that came to the rescue and Ian Vigers and Michael Garding. Superb. It was a great finish from Vigers. That equalising goal, top quality stuff. Both the build-up players have to give credit to that as well. But the finish, we had the perfect angle where we were sitting in the stands. We were behind it all the way. You knew from the minute it left his boot that it was going at the top corner. There was no chance Liam Kelly was getting a hand to that. And then Michael Cardine maybe hasn't contributed the same number of assists and goals as county fans might have hoped for this season, but he's come up good when it mattered. And 
that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. It's not even necessarily scoring 10, 15 goals. It's getting the right goals at the right times. And that's exactly what they did. And it's fantastic because we go back to the first half of the season uh, when they went on a run of 13 games without a win. I think during a period of 10 games, they only scored three goals. So for them to actually come back, be an attacking threat and have the ability to win games, it just justifies John Hughes's appointment. Yeah, he came back, he turned things around, he made them a threat again, made them tougher, not so much of a light touch. I think we've seen that with the players that he's chosen and players that maybe have not got a game. I'm speaking in particular about Blair Spittle getting back into the squad, Jordan White being the choice up front, whereas Harry Payton and dare I say even Ollie Shaw have been back on the bench, just maybe not the kind of players you saw for a relegation fight. But Ross County are up, Premiership football is here next season. His choices have been justified. Well, I'm going to play a little bit of my post-match interview with Stephen Kelly in a second, but since you brought up Hughes, the talk this week in a way has been, has he done enough to become Ross County manager full-time? He was only appointed until the end of the season. I know our colleague Alistair Fraser tweeted in support of him getting the job. You did as well. I put up a a poll on the Balls and Whistles Twitter site, and that was overwhelmingly in favour of him keeping the job. He's the obvious appointment right now, isn't he? Well, these are the chance if he wants the job because Ross County, like I said uh, previously, for me, they were certainly bottom two. I couldn't see anyone else um, really being in danger of relegation come December time. At the same time, I didn't see the implosion coming at Kilmarnock. Uh, I think they lost about seven games in a row. Is that about right? Something like that. I don't know the exact number. Yeah, and, and with the players they've got in their squad as well, thinking the likes of Chris Bark and Kyle Lafferty and Greg Kilty. That's a team that should be top six as far as I'm concerned. So I don't know what went wrong there. But Hughes took advantage of it. Um, he brought the enthusiasm back to the squad. Got some big results against Hebs, Aberdeen, Celtic. Bonus points, I, I think I wrote in my column. But even winning the games in the bottom against the teams that they should be beating. They beat Kilmarnock up here in Dingwall. They beat Hamilton twice, home and away. I look back to the split. The biggest result for me during the split was actually the 2-2 draw at Kilmarnock when they went 2-1 down after 15 minutes. They came storming back in the second half and even before they only drew, it was against one of their main rivals against relegation. It showed the fight and it showed that they were just as good as Kilmarnock. And even before they lost against St. Mirren and fell back into the playoff zone, Kilmarnock couldn't handle the pressure and Ross County won their last three games in the split. So despite the dreadful first half of the campaign, they came back well in the second half and they deserve to stay up. And if Hughes wants the job, if he wants the job, he earns a second crack. And it'll be interesting to see if he does get a new contract, what he does with the team. Because if I've got one criticism about Hughes, I wasn't impressed with most of his transfer signings. Apart from George White, I thought he was excellent, outstanding, possibly my player of the season. Well, that sounds a bit controversial. We're going to get onto that in a bit as well, don't worry. <laughs> but you look at people like Tony Andrew, people like Leo Hielde, who were both a disappointment for me. Uh, I still don't know who Mohamed Moush is. But um, I thought Hughes might bring in more defensive players, whereas he went more midfield. And when you looked at the subs bench at times, when 
Ross County needed a lot of options. It was very midfield heavy. There was very few defensive options. And that showed us particularly when um, Callum Morris was injured, Conor Randall injured too. There wasn't that many options. So if he does take the job and stays, I hope it's better signings he makes during the summer. Well, he is potentially going to have to make quite a lot of signings because I think we've touched on it before on the podcast. There's a lot of guys out of contract in Dingwall and they obviously had a few guys in on loan as well. All four of their loan signings have now returned to the parent clubs. I did manage to catch up with one of them after the match at Fir Park, though. So here is a little bit of my conversation with the now once again Rangers midfielder, Stephen Kelly. Yeah, yeah, the last three games, three wins. Um, can ask for much more. Everybody's just gave their all and we've, we've got the results needed. I think we've probably got a more settled shape. Um, the last couple of games it's probably helped everybody a lot. Um, even the boys that maybe haven't been playing, everybody coming in and knowing, knowing their job. So I think it's helped us a lot getting the last couple of games. There's obviously going to be changes because it's such a big squad, but I think it just shows the character of the squad just to keep going to the last day and we've managed to keep ourselves up. Probably been a few times this season we've maybe went behind and had to react. Um, but again, it just shows the sort of mentality and the, the character in the group. But I think a lot of the games have probably got away from us and maybe they shouldn't have and maybe draws and we've been beat. But I think, I think we deserve it the way we've played in the last three games. You mentioned the Kilmarnock draw, Well, That's one of those games that he's probably talking about. They're going behind, having to react. And it's difficult to look at individual games when you're looking at a 38-match season as being the difference. But you look at that, if Kilmarnock had managed to hold on for a win there, Ross County would have been in the playoff the way it turned out. So that really was a difference maker. Stephen Kelly was probably one of the more consistently impressive players for Ross County this season. It's work on the ball was very rarely wasteful, which is so important when you're down at the bottom of the table and fighting a relegation battle. I know he caught a lot of people's eyes as, for most of the season, a 20-year-old playing his first year in the top flight. You mentioned Jordan White earlier. Well, I think we're kind of on to a season recap segment now, like we did with Callie Thistle a week or two ago. Is Jordan White your player of the year? Is someone like Stephen Kelly in the mix for you? Or is there anyone else that you'd particularly want to point out? I think when you're going to look at the player of the season awards, you've got to take into account the entire season. And for me, Ross County didn't win a game between beating St. Johnson in September and beating Hibs at the end of December. And during those games, Ross County, a lot of the time, were beaten quite handsomely. Sometimes it was shown in the scoreline, sometimes it wasn't. I'm speaking about losing 4-0 at Motherwell, losing 3-1 at Kilmarnock earlier this season when Kilmarnock were playing with 10 men for 80 minutes, uh, losing to Aberdeen 3-0, getting hammered by Rangers, those sort of, sort of matches. So you can't really take into account the performances between September and December because, sorry to say, they were that bad. I'm sorry for being a bit brutal, but I think a lot of people would agree that watching Ross County, you would have thought, yeah, they're definitely relegation fodder. So you've got to look at what Hughes did to change the season around. And I spoke about his signings weren't fantastic, but one signing that was fantastic was Jordan White. Not only for managed to find in the net and being a threat in front of goal again, but also for his link-up play. I think he brought the best out of uh, Billy Mackay and Ollie Shaw when he played with them as a partnership. 
but not just that, the midfield as well. Last uh, weekend, he set up the goal for uh, Michael Garding. There's more to him than just an attacking threat. He can play provider as well. And during the first half of the campaign, we saw Ross County, they were no threat at all. During a period of 10 games, they only scored three times. When they got to the final third, there was very little threat to them at all. It was like they didn't know what to do. And for me, Jordan White, he brought that back to Ross County. When the midfield, who I I thought the midfield was decent this season, uh, when they played providers, he actually proved a threat in front of goal. And I can't give it to anyone defensively. Until the final day of the season, they had the worst defensive record until Hamilton lost 2-0. So I'm not going to apologise for it. I'm not giving my player of the season award to Jordan White. I think it's valid reasons. Set your faces to stunned. <laughs> when I just take everything into account, I think he was one of the main reasons County turned their season around. So I'm giving it to him, whether you like it or not. Well, whether I specifically like well, it or not. Anyone likes it or not. I, I know people might be stunned by it because he came in in January, but I think he was one of the players that made the impact. Uh, Blair Spittle, I've got to say as well, honourable mention. I think he came up strong uh, during the final run of the season. But yeah, I'm giving it to White. Especially his story as well, when he was dismissed from Mullerwell, came to prove a point. And he's definitely done that, in my opinion. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, sort of looking ahead to what we might be doing on the podcast for the end of the season. And we had a cool conversation about how difficult it was to pick anyone for Ross County because people had played well, but in relatively short patches. You look at the first half of the season, Harry Payton, we talked about it in the early weeks of the podcast, was probably the standout. Ollie Shaw went through a run where he was a match winner for Ross County. Blair Spill, second half of the season, as you say, I would also give an honourable mention, despite the defensive record, to Alex Yakoviti. I think he's stood up more than anybody else in the defence and had the most good games out of anyone, considering it's his first season in Scottish football. That's impressive. But, like you say, you can't ignore the impact that Jordan White has made on this team. And he has turned things around for them. The way he's put himself about, the aerial battles he's won. You talk about his link-up play, but his hold-up play is phenomenal. And that has gotten County out of so many sticky situations when they've just had to clear it and rely on somebody to keep the ball out of their half for a little while. I talked about Daniel Mackay when we were doing the Cali Thistle Player of the Year, and I said he allows Cali Thistle to play the way they have the second half of the season. It's exactly the same with Jordan White at Ross County. If they didn't have him, they would have had to play a totally different style going forward than they have been able to the last few months. So I totally agree with you. I think Jordan White is Ross County's Player of the Year. What? Shocker, Rooney. <laughs> but agreed. That was a big build-up to basically I agree, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I would love to know what Ross County fans think of our um, reasons, though, simply because he came in in January. But you agree with me? That's fantastic. It doesn't happen very often. But generally, I just go back between September and December, Ross County looked like they were going down. There was no real one standout. We're speaking about Harry Payton. He'd probably impressed before that at the mm. opening games of the season, but they were in such a mire. You just couldn't see how they were going to get out of it. And that's a credit to John Hughes. Yeah, John White, well done. If, if we had a prize, we'd give one to you. It might be interesting. We might actually do this in the next few days. We might put up a poll on Twitter just to see what people think. We'll give a few options and you can respond with your own one just to see who you think is Ross County's Player of the Year. So Staggies fans, if you're listening and on social media, 
get involved with that because I think that will be really interesting to see who people in general go for. We talked about Player of the Year. We talked a little bit about the managerial situation at Ross County. I think we should talk about the managerial situation at Cali Thistle. It's coming up for a week ago now as we record this that it was announced that John Robertson was no longer the Cali Thistle manager and he's going to be moving to a new role as sporting director. That can mean a whole host of things depending on where in the world you are, what specific club you are, what sort of setup you have and the upper management structure. My understanding of it so far, Will, is that Robbo's going to have an influence on the football side of things as well as dipping his toe into the business world. He's going to be looking at everything from the academy program right through to you know first team signings. He's going to be an influence, but not directly involved with day-to-day training. I think even Cali Thistler is still trying to work out exactly what his role is and what is under his remit and what isn't. But the question now turns to who's going to replace him? Who's going to be Cali Thistler's next head coach? Well, the bookies have given their roars already. It's early days. Um, Neil McCann doesn't want the job, but the guy that uh, he worked alongside, Billy Dodd, he's the heavy favourite at the moment. It's all early speculation. As we record this, the application process hasn't even closed, we should probably say. That's how early we're talking in this whole process. Yeah. As it goes out, it's due to close at five o'clock this afternoon, which is a Friday. Have you put your uh, CV in? My football manager achievements probably do not even stack up for a Cali Thistle, to be honest with you. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, it'd be great if they got someone like John Robertson's eye for a signing. The one thing that really stood out for me uh, during Robertson's second stint was the players that he brought in and what they've gone on to do. Thinking of Jamie McCart, who was at Alloa and is now at St. Johnston. Uh, Sean Rooney, who was at Queen of the South and now at St. Johnston. They've won a League Cup. They've got a Scottish Cup final tomorrow as well. They made a real significant impact at the Perth Club and proved their Premiership players. Cole Donaldson, now at Ross County. Even the likes of Charlie Trafford. He was at Hamilton Academical. Let's not forget Jordan White again. Jordan White, Mullerwell, Ross County. Redeemed himself at Ross County. Delighted with that. My player of the year, by the way. He gave Daniel Mackay a chance in the first team, along with a couple other youngsters. I think that's the important thing, isn't it? He's still going to be involved. So he's still probably going to have some sort of say in that whole recruitment process, whether that's recommending players or actually going potentially negotiating some of the deals. And that, that sort of experience will be vital, especially if it's like a, an up-and-coming manager who wants to make his breakthrough uh, at Cali Fissel. I'm all for enthusiasm over experience. If someone wants something uh, enough, give them a chance. But at the same time, there's no harm in going over old ground and saying, you know, you should do this, you should do that, you should look at this player, you should look at that player. And the, the one strength Robertson had was bringing in players that were quality. And even though he didn't get Cali Fissel promoted, other clubs saw that the talent in the team and uh, took them on. Even going back as far as Joe Chalmers going to Ross County, to have someone as, as experienced as John in that role and just offering advice will be great. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of manager they go for. I just get the feeling it might be someone untested that gets the chance. Just just the way that I'm hearing um, the vibes that are coming out of Cali Fussell at the moment. Other names that have been punted include Barry Robson, who's a coach at Aberdeen, former Cali Fussell player. Uh, he's second favourite with the bookies at the moment. Paul Sheeran's up there as well, isn't he? He was actually a contender after Richie Foran left and John Robertson got the job. He, I think he was actually a lot of people's favourite to get the job before John Robertson. But uh, Darren Young from East Fife, 
he was being a contender for the job, but he signed a new contract at East Fife, so it's very much doubt that Califis will fork out compensation to get him in. Stuart Moffat from Montrose as well as being a counter as a contender. Stuart Kettlewell's eight to one, if anyone fancies a punt on him. Kettlewell's touted for the Falkirk and the Queen's Park job as well, so you never know. But I can see Califisal going for someone untested. Scott Garner says they're going to keep an open mind. You never know. That's my feeling anyway. And like I said, sometimes enthusiasm over experience, it can sometimes work out. Yeah, they seem to make a point of saying that they would welcome applications from people who have been assistant managers and might be looking to take their first steps, which would imply someone like a Billy Dodds, who's never been a number one, but has been a number two at quite a good level before. That may be feeding into part of the reason why he's the bookie's favourite at the minute. I'm, I'm not entirely sure the full backstory there. It might just be his association with Cali Thistle the second half of the season. And it's probably quite notable that when he came in as a coach, that's when they went on that winning run. So he clearly had a positive effect there and things went well for him. It's going to be an interesting one because I really can't pick it. There are so many names around about that I would say, well, it might be them, but I can't say for sure it's likely to be any of them. So it's a totally open field right now as far as I'm concerned. Could be a former player with designs of coaching. I'm not going to name any names. I think I know who you're talking about, though. I think we might have discussed this off air beforehand. I think a former player might be tempted to throw his hat in the ring. And I know there are former players that uh, do fancy themselves as coaches in the future. I'm not naming any names, but it wouldn't surprise me. Well, we'll see. We'll have to wait and see on that one. And like with everything else, this is obviously a, a big deal in its own right. But you can make sure you follow the Inverness Courier website and social media pages and our own social media pages because I'm sure we'll be posting about it whenever there are any developments or updates. Well, another slightly more tenuous Cali Thistle link, I suppose, but that is fantastic news is a couple of Inverness players or Inverness, former Inverness players in the Scotland squad for the Euros. Ryan Christie and Stuart Armstrong. Yes, Stuart Armstrong was just in the youth team, but he still counts as far as I'm concerned. Cali Thistle got a fee for him, didn't they? They did. When he went to Dungeon United. It's more than enough as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, he qualifies as Inverness. I mean, it, it, it was no surprise those two players were called up to the um, this European Championship squad. I agreed with most of it. Congratulations to Ryan Christie and Stuart Armstrong. And I hope it's something that the Cali Fissel you've set up take a lot of pride in because they produce these players at the end of the day. And now they've gone to play uh, European Championships, which everybody's waited so long for. Christy will probably be a starter. So will Armstrong. So it'd be great to see those guys in action. I think they'll both be in the starting 11 for most of the games, if not all the games. Well, from the Scotland national team squad from the Euros, just very slightly, it's really quite similar levels. The North Caledonian League is back this weekend. Finally, after I think it's five months, it's mid-December is the last time any league games were played. We've got three matches on the calendar this weekend as teams go to finish off their campaigns. Invergordon could move clear. I think they're already at the top of Division 1, but they could go a few more points clear there. And Loch Ness are back in action as well. Exciting times. Loch Ness, I've got a long trip north on Saturday to Scary. Uh, I was actually up there a few weeks ago. Fantastic pitch. Uh, really nice uh, facility as well, if they're allowed in it. Uh, Scouty looking for their first ever point in their short history. They've never avoided defeat in a game. 
I spoke to the manager, Tony Rielson, who is confident that they can pick up at least one point before the end of the season. They've got three games to go. And they're definitely eyeing a win against Loch Ness tomorrow, even though they lost the corresponding fixture, 11-1. As games went on, they, they improved and the fitness has improved as well. Loch Ness were touted as many people's favourites for the Division 2 title. Started off very brightly, but then kind of fell away a wee bit. So I think the highest they can finish is fourth. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of team and, and if they have any desire uh, on Saturday. But um, it'd, it'd be nice to go up and actually watch the game. So I might go up, actually. So are you planning on going up? Possibly, yeah. If they expense... Well, you know, people think, oh, scouting is far away, but... You lived in Wick for years, so it's nothing yeah. to you. And the A9 between Inverness and Perth is two hours, and we travelled down that on a regular basis. It's only an hour and a half away. Oh, it's a nice day, I might go up. Watch this space. Well, I was talking to Loch Ness's Shane Carling earlier in the week. He was saying they were going to put a pretty strong squad. It's it's almost a pre-season to a pre-season for them because they've got two games left, nothing really to play for. But they are going to be taking part in the summer amateur season, which will be their precursor to next season's North Cali League. So this is just starting to get the wheels turning as far as they're concerned ahead of next season, which is going to be back to one tier. And I think we've even got a start date. Yep, uh, August the 21st. They went to two leagues because of the impact of the pandemic. Um, shorter seasons than usual, but it's always been one division and they're going back to one division. 22 games and a couple of cup competitions as well. They're quite optimistic for the future, so great to hear. And we should mention as well, talking about the North Cali League, it's a big game for the John O'Groat Journal to be covering this weekend. It's a Caithness Derby between Thurso and Halkirk, and Thurso are still in the shout away in Division 1 if they can win the rest of their games. So it's a huge match for both teams. Yep, if they win all five, they could win the, the league because their last two games are against Invergordon, who are... Uh, top of Division 1 at the moment. But it'll be the first time since December, since Wick Academy played Musselburgh Athletic in the Scottish Cup, that uh, there's been a competitive football match in Caithness. You know, it, it's crazy to think, isn't it? December the 15th was the last time there was a competitive senior football match in Caithness. So it's five months in the making this. I don't know about fans. I don't know if we want to maybe promote to large crowds going to watch the game and all that, but Farso, they do play in a public park. It's open for anyone to walk. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of demand there is to watch football in Caithness when Farso take on Hulkirk United. Well, it's been a long time coming for them. It's also been a really long wait for Cali Thistle's women's team to get back into action. I think it was actually November the last time they played a match because before women's football got shut down on Boxing Day, the Championship North had already been suspended because of travel restrictions coming in and out of Dundee. So it's been even longer for them. It's been a ridiculous wait, really. They are hoping their new season will start up in August. It's looking like that's still going to be a Championship North instead of an amalgamated National Championship division. But before then, they could be back in action in just a couple of weeks' time as Scottish women's football are arranging friendly matches between the 6th of June and I think it's mid-July before a couple of weeks break before the league gets back up and running it's great news for them. I was talking to Cali Thistle Women's Manager Karen Mason earlier on. Here's a little bit of what she had to say. 
we probably normally in our pre-season we wouldn't get as many games in just given the the travel that needs to be done and the the ranging of games so the fact that the SWF have kind of taken that out of our hands and and putting us up against other people it does make a, a massive difference for us so um, yeah we'll be definitely treating it as a, as a pre-season so I mean especially when it's teams that we're going to be playing against as well it almost gives us a wee bit of an insight to, to the other teams and what they're kind of shaping up like as well and I mean for us to get a, a probably reasonable challenge it's I mean the closest is probably like Perth or Aberdeen for us to go to get someone to play so um, the fact that they're all going to be within our league is going to give us a good idea of what we're, what we're going to be up against again but I would say we're more than ready for getting that way I mean the girls have all been working away albeit non-contact they've probably been putting a lot in in terms of the fitness side of things so it is really just getting games now to get up to that match uh, match fitness as well as obviously the, the different elements of contact between like tackling and things like that as well that's obviously come come away so that's something we'll be concentrating on in the next couple of weeks just before um, our, our games will kick off on the 6th it was probably the quickest response I've managed to have to an email like games you want to play yes we do um, so it wasn't uh, any debate at all I mean it's it's what we all work towards and do and, and as we said before like in terms of for us to get a game we can't just call up a local team and come and have a have a game with us it's not as easy as that and with our numbers we've not quite managed to get like 11 v 11 against each other um, either so I mean having the games is, is definitely what we're, we're all working towards and um, it's what the girls all, all play for Karen there talked about getting asked the question about whether they wanted to play. That I think is quite an important thing to point out here. It was an opt-in, opt-out question that was put to all the teams. There wasn't any obligation for championship sides to take part in the seven-week window. And that's part of the reason we don't actually have the specific fixtures yet, because fixtures had been issued to clubs. And then I think it was Grampian said, yeah, actually, we'll take part in this. So they all had to get reworked. Um, but... We also don't know where Cali Thistle women are going to be playing. They had been planning on playing at the Caledonian Stadium before the shutdown. And that isn't going to be possible over the next week while because of pitch repair works for the end of the season, for the men's season. But it's just great that they're going to get back into action. It's been such a long wait for them. I'm sure they can't wait and it'll be good for us to be able to cover them again as well because it has been far too long. Well, it's just been a lack of information for women's football at that level about what's going on apart from the top flight, uh, the WPL, but uh, teams lower, such as Championship North and Championship South, everything's been up in the air. They didn't know whether they were going to start winter, summer, spring, autumn, but now <laughs> everything's now appears to be sorted. I'm, I'm not having a go at uh, the SWF. It, it's challenging circumstances for everyone. But it's just great that there's clarity now of when the Championship North will start and the top uh, women footballers in Inverness will get a chance to play at that level. And just on clarity, I got posed a question on social media a week or two ago, I think, about the Highlands and Islands League. We're expecting something soon. As far as I know, Scottish women's football are working on some sort of schedule and calendar and fixture announcement at the time when I asked them about it, it was going to be within a couple of weeks. I think this would be around about the two-week mark now. So fingers crossed we get some sort of clarity there soon as well, because I know even past the Cali Thistle Women's first team, there are a whole host of footballers so keen to get back out and play, and fingers crossed it won't be too much longer for them. Speaking to some sources, I've heard they're hoping next month. Uh, that's still got to be finalised. But uh, it, it's looking good today for a June start. Well, hopefully it is sooner rather than later, because like I say, it's been a really long time for them. 
I think, Will, that pretty much wraps us up in terms of football. So let's move on to some athletics because there have been Scotland call-ups, there have been club records, there have been personal bests. Let's start with Rachel McLennan, who I believe you were talking to earlier on this week. We talked about Stephen Mackay last time round breaking club records and, and Rachel's been doing the same thing in the hammer throw. Yeah, she broke the Inverness Harriers club record at the Scottish Invitational at Kilmarnock. And then six days later, she went and uh, broke the record again by a further 10 centimetres. So she's obviously in top form and I've got a chance to speak to her and she's pleased with her performances, especially as her training schedule has been so disrupted by COVID uh, over the last 14 months. It's pretty much been stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. So... Basically, she was going into these events in the last few weeks just as a bit of fun because she didn't know what kind of condition she really was. You can't really tell until you take part in competition. You can do all the training you like, but until you actually get to put it into practice, you never know. But she's uh, better than she's ever been before, and uh, she's hoping to take part in the national championships in the summer, where previously she's won three third-place medals, and uh, she's hoping for another podium finish and hopefully a different colour of medal. So she's definitely one to watch. It really is remarkable that after such a, let's say, strange year, just over a year where training for a lot of people has gone out the window, at least as they knew it beforehand, that people are coming back and performing not just close to the level they were at before, but past the level they were at before. It's unbelievable. Full credit to the likes of Rachel and, and Stephen from last week. And Kirsty Law as well from a couple of weeks ago. It's it's unbelievable for them. Maybe it says a lot about home training. Maybe uh, professional coaches are redundant now. <laughs> oh, you're going to make so many enemies right now. <laughs> I know. I regretted saying it as soon as I said it. But no, it's, it's good. I'm sure it's not the case for everyone. Um, I'm sure they need a bit of guidance along the way. But I think it just goes to show the amount of effort and dedication athletes have put in during these difficult times. So if they're breaking records, going faster, throwing further than ever before, good for them. And they're getting the rewards, as I alluded to earlier, not just when it comes to personal bests and club records, but also when it comes to Scotland jerseys, because there's the Loughborough International coming up. And Kirsty Law, who I mentioned before, has been selected by Scotland. Stephen Mackay, who I mentioned before, has been selected by Scotland. Megan Keith, as well, was a late addition to the Scotland squad. I mean, we talk a lot sometimes about the, the North representation when it comes to athletics, but it's really great to see all of them being included for such a prestigious event as a Loughborough International. Yeah, I mean, anyone that follows athletics in the North knows all about these guys' names. Uh, Kirsty Law, British champion. Uh, Megan Keith, teenage sensation. She's only going to get better. And Stephen Mackay, he just seems to be getting faster as well. And um, adding more gravitas to his career in athletics. So it'll be great to see them taking on the best of British at the Loughborough International and hopefully some positive results too. And I should mention as well, along the road in the Northern Scot today, staying in athletics, there's triathlons going on over there. Cameron Main has his sights set on the Commonwealth Games next year in Birmingham after finally securing his spot at the European Under-23 Championships. So all the more prodigious talent in the north. It's great to see. Yeah, fantastic to see. Um, not, not just in Inverness and the Highlands, um, but in Murray as well. It just shows the magnificent work athletics clubs are doing in the north. So 
hopefully the conveyor belt continues producing the athlete after athlete that's capable of competing at national and international level too. Well, it's been great to see various different athletics events return to the calendar over the last wee while. And we're also getting rugby back in some form, at least. Ross Sutherland have started their touch rugby tournament. The first round of games for that was actually last night. They've taken a bit of inspiration from the March into May fundraiser and split the club up into six different regions. So you've got the Dingwall Dinos, as John Mann was very enthusiastic telling me about. There's the All-N-S Gators, there's, there's various other ones. Like I say, there's six teams, I'm not going to go through them all. But it's maybe not rugby as they would know it in terms of competition, full 15s, full contacts. It's six aside touch rugby, but it's, it's much better than nothing. And it should be quite a nice segue back into some competitive action for all of Ross Sutherland's players, new and existing. It's the first step towards rugby coming back. Um, we still have no idea of when uh, the club rugby uh, will return. We've received no notification from some Scottish rugby, but contact sports are allowed again. So we've got to make small steps and uh, as the weeks progress, um, hopefully further developments have been made. But John Mann does a power of work in the Rosher area and the Sutherland area as well to promote the game. So it's a great idea and I wish them all the best with And not just the work he's done organising this touch tournament, not just his work as a development officer going around schools and trying to bring rugby to the masses at a younger age. He's also training to do seven triathlons in seven days. I know we've talked about that on the podcast before, but I mean, I don't know how he does it. I just don't know how he does it. You're not inspired to take up a triathlon yourself? That might actually kill me. No, you play cricket, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's really not. Yeah. I mean, in, in cricket, if it gets wet, then we all run for cover. Part of the triathlon is swimming for one and a half K. That's a, that's a totally different ballgame. I'll give you a shot of my speedos if you want. That <laughs> just makes me think about John Hughes' post-match press conference from a few weeks ago. Let's not go for that. But rugby, is it's great to see them back. Yeah. It's an interesting one because it's mixed teams as well. It really is open to all. And John Mann was talking to me part of that conversation was that they're looking to potentially start up a women's section after the summer and they're potentially looking to start up a more regular touch rugby team. They've got walking rugby that's going to be coming back later this summer as well. It's been a real focus at Ross Sutherland to make the club and and rugby in one form or another something that everyone can do and everybody can be a part of, which is great. Touch rugby is almost its own sport out with rugby union, rugby league. And typically you've got a men's division a female division and then a mixed division and you know it tends to be that the mixed division is kind of the the, the the top tier almost if you will you know it's the most popular to watch and be involved with and when I've played touch rugby overseas you know most competitions are mixed um, I, you know I, I think it's a better way of playing the game it's a bit more social a bit more fun and for us as a club it's helping because we're starting um a ladies section after the summer so it's kind of the thing of you know it, it turns you two birds one stone of we want to set up a ladies section um so is it you know it, it's still rugby skills but you know we really want to work moving forward to you know provide alternative forms of rugby for people because we know you know 15 aside contact rugby is not for everyone but people might want to play touch rugby as a sport so we'll try and provide that longer term and you know, we've had walking rugby in the past. That'll be coming back later in the summer when it finally warms up. So it's just trying to, you know, <laughs> make sure that, you know, there's something for everyone at the club. 
I mean, we've known John Mann for a number of years now. The work he does at Ross Sutherland is fantastic. So any initiatives to help promote the game in the area, good luck to him. Absolutely. You can read about both what their future plans are out in Vergordon and a little bit about the Touch Tournament itself in today's Rosher Journal. Well, I think that's everything I've got on my list. Is there anything that's caught your eye this week that we haven't talked about? I was doing a bit of work for the Jonah Groat Journal and uh, I would like to uh, congratulate Alex Donald on catching the most fish in the Dunray Fly Fishing Association League. He was only one of two people that caught a significant amount of fish and that led to him getting maximum points. He's in second place at the moment, so he's got a bit of catching up to do. But if he continues to catch that amount of fish, he'll reel in the competition. I think that might be the first time we've talked about fishing and balls and whistles. I hope it's not the last. It's only taken us 19 episodes. Fingers crossed it's not another 19 before we're back out trying to... I was about to say real people in, but you already did that. So that's a shame. Get your own material. Yeah, so unoriginal. Gina G would be so disappointed. Uh, This is exactly what Gina G was speaking about. Well, all I have left to speak about, I think, is to thank people for listening and do the usual sort of promotion at the end of the show. But before I do that, we're almost at the end of the professional football season now, which means the window is more open than ever if people want to get in touch with questions, with topics for us to talk about on the show. Probably going to have a bit more time to kill over the next few weeks on this show without regular matches from Ross County and Cali Thistle. It's going to be a little different. We haven't done an off-season podcast properly really yet. So if you have anything you particularly want us to talk about, whether that's looking to the future, analysing things that have gone on this past season, anything even more generally in sport, get in touch with us on Twitter at balls underscore whistles or by emailing balls and whistles. That's the full word and not the ampersand at hnmedia.co.uk while you're on listening to podcasts from Highland News and Media make sure you check out Health and Lithness and Active Outdoors for all their latest episodes I think that's everything so until we're back next week with another brand new episode of Balls and Whistles thank you for listening, I've been Andrew Henderson have a good weekend